How you guys doing? Are you guys good? That was good. That was good. But I think y'all could do better. I think y'all could do better than that. All right, you ready? Yeah, I'm going to do middle school. All right, all right. You guys ready? You guys know how to go, right? Are you in middle school? Y'all go, yeah, you do that. All right, you ready? <clears throat> I heard that. <laughs> middle school! Yeah! How you guys doing? Good, 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 good. Well, it's your first time here. Welcome. My name is Hunter Bruce. I am the student ministry. I am the student ministry associate here at Cross Life Church for the middle school, and I'm loving every second of it. Every second I get to hang out with you guys, preach you guys, teach you guys, uh, spike you guys out of nine square, hang out, all that good stuff. And I'm so glad that I'm getting to speak to you guys once again tonight. Now, if you're here tonight, that means God wanted you here, and he has a word for you, okay? But we are in week two of our series that we are calling Kingdom Living. Ooh, y'all on it today. I like it. I like it. The tech team on it today. Kingdom Living, okay? Now, we're talking about the Beatitudes, all right? Now, it's important that we talk about these things because they are characteristics and virtues that we need to live by as Christians and as believers, So, we talked about the first three uh, last week. Now we're going to be talking about three more, okay? So, we're going to be tonight in Matthew chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Again, if you got your Bibles, crack those bad boys out. We're going to be in Matthew 5, verses 6 through 8, okay? And a little recap on what the Beatitudes are. They are statements and blessings that were part of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus had and Jesus Priest, which is recorded in Matthew. And each beatitude looks at different circumstances of life and how all Christians are blessed through their faith. Now, through these lessons and these things that Jesus was teaching us, he talks about different values and virtues in life that will result in great blessings. And these beatitudes aren't singled out for specific people, Right? They're blessings that are applicable to all Christians, all people who decide to believe in Jesus and believe in God and who he is. Now, that word beatitude comes from the Latin word meaning blessedness. Now, eight times throughout Jesus' sermon, he repeats the same phrase, blessed are. Okay, oftentimes we we hear that as the first thing that came in that uh, chapter there, blessed are. And the message that Jesus is trying to convey is simple. But it goes against everything that the teachers of the law at the time was teaching the people. This is the main reason that people didn't rock with Jesus. Because he was telling them one thing, which was the truth. And the spiritual leaders at the time were telling them something else so they could maintain control and power over the people at the time. Now up to this point, the Jewish people were raised under a strict set of rules and laws and regulations taught by the scribes and the Pharisees through the law of Moses. But because of the difficulty of the laws, no one was ever truly able to fulfill the requirements and obtain true righteousness. So what Jesus did was take these impossible laws and impossible things that were hard to follow and boil them down to their truest form and their truest meaning. 
which ultimately ended up becoming the Beatitudes, okay? So, like I said, tonight we're going to read Matthew 5, verses 6 through 8. If you got your Bibles, which we're going to be there. What I'm going to do is read those three verses, right? And then we're going to come back to each one and break them down, okay? Capiche? Good? Good. So, Matthew 5, verses 6 through 8. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So, first, let's read that first one together again. Verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So, first to get to this verse, we have to understand the meaning of righteousness in this verse. You see, the righteous that Jesus is talking about here are those who maintain right relationships with God and people around them. So my question to you is, are you filled with right relationships? You see, last week we talked about meekness and being humble and what that is and understand that righteousness begins with meekness. I'm going to say it again for you. Righteousness begins with meekness. Because in order to be, in order to have these right relationships with God and others, we have to stop making all our actions and all the things we do revolve around ourselves. Right? So do you truly hunger and thirst for right relationships with God? Do you hunger and thirst for right relationships with your family? Do you truly hunger and thirst for right relationships with your friends and your classmates? You see, you have to understand that hunger is a sign of life, all right? How many of you guys get hungry in here? Right? I saw a lot of y'all were hungry eating all that pizza and chips and soda over there. Yeah, that's some of y'all, right? Right? That was all y'all, right? That, that hunger that you guys have, the hunger that we have as human beings, that is a sign of life. And Jesus says that those who hunger and thirst will find their appetites filled. See, the words translated as hunger and thirst are related to the words that describe someone who is dying of starvation, and in danger of dehydration. And you see, many people today, just like the people who were on that mountain listening to Jesus, desire to tap into Jesus' power for their own personal needs, like healing, like prosperity, or Jesus' Jesus' wisdom. And Jesus knew that the only thing that would truly satisfy their soul is the righteousness of God. But what does that look like? What, what do people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness look like? First, they admit that they're in need. They acknowledge their own emptiness. And they understand that in certain situations, 
they don't have it in themselves to do things righteously. And because of this emptiness, it causes a hunger and thirst and a need for righteousness. And as long as you have this hunger, according to Jesus' own words, you will be filled. You'll be filled just as long as you don't allow the virtues of the world to fill your hunger. Because the thing is, we get hungry sometimes, right? You guys, some of us, a lot of, a lot of us have pantries right in here. Lots of pantries full of snacks, right? You come to my house, pantry full of snacks. I'm telling you, ask my mom. There's just a bunch of junk food in there, okay? But it's okay because I love it. It's okay. Me and my godbrother love junk food, okay? So a bunch of snacks in there. And when I get hungry sometimes, sometimes, you know, I don't feel like making a meal. Probably because I can't. But the, uh, the thing is that <laughs> the probably... You got to understand is that I sometimes go in the pantry when I don't feel like making food, you know. Go in the pantry, get some cookies, get some uh, devil dogs, right. Get some Oreos. What are some other snacks you guys like? Give me some other snacks. Goldfish. We get some goldfish. Pringles, Cheetos, right. We, we decide to go for the snacks, right. We go for those snacks. But the thing with snacks is that they temporarily fill us, right. These snacks don't necessarily suffice us. They might, but it's only for a short period of time. But let's say, let's say I decide the, the rare event where I decide to not be lazy, right? I'm going in the fridge, I'm bringing out the eggs, right? I'm bringing out the protein, I'm bringing out the chicken, right? And I decide to whip up a meal, don't know what it's going to be, but I'm not going to be hungry anymore, right? I'm putting it together. You know, I got myself an egg sandwich with some meat, chicken, right? And I'm eating it, and now I'm full. You see, the problem, the thing that we decide to do is that we decide to eat things and fill ourselves in our minds with temporary things that don't last. Temporary things that are going to want us to go back into the pantry and get all these snacks that aren't going to fill us in the long run. We don't have that drive and desire to reach into God's word. We don't have that drive and desire to study God's word. So we decide to go for the temporary snacks. We decide to go for the temporary things. Knowing in the end that they won't fill our hunger. They won't. Suffice, they won't give us the sufficient, uh, they won't give us the, 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 they won't uh, fix our dehydration and our thirst, right? But Luke 1, verse, verses 53, it says, He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent, a, sent the rich away empty. What I want you guys to understand is that the world lacks righteousness. You know, you can turn on the TV, watch the news, and see all the crazy things happening in the world, right? We got war. We got crime. We got people robbing, stealing, uh, killing each other, right? But the Christian faith has been the source for the greatest things in the world. It's been the source for the greatest reforms in the world. 
You guys know about slavery? So Christian, the Christian, Christian faith helped with the abolishment of slavery. Not only in the United States, but also in Great Britain. The Christian faith also inspired the civil rights movement. You see, the message behind verse 6 is that we don't have to take these kind of battles on our own strength. But in the recognition of our emptiness. You see, when you recognize your own emptiness and the world's emptiness, this is when you begin to understand the power of God. Going to verse 7. Verse 7, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So understand that mercy is treating people better than they deserve. And forgiveness is a form of mercy. You see, mercy is the driving force for Jesus' death and resurrection. And through him, our sins are forgiven, and we receive mercy. John 3.16, for those of you who don't know, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, some people say, oh, God doesn't love anyone. He doesn't love it. But it's right here. For God so loved the world, right? The reason that we receive this kind of mercy is simply because God loves us. Understand that mercy is practical too. You see, as believers, we are called to help others attain their best outcome, regardless of how we feel about them. For example... It's important that we help others that we don't necessarily care for, necessarily like. Or we help someone that has done something wrong to us in the past. Those kind of things, you're showing mercy. And the reality of mercy is that mercy benefits someone other than yourself. I'm saying it again for you. The reality of mercy is that mercy benefits someone other than yourself. So my question to you is, are you merciful to others? Are you slow to judge, but quick to love? Do you pray for others and love others instead of condemning them? Are you willing to open your heart to friends, to strangers, and offer them and give them the same mercy that Christ gave you? Luke 6, 36 through 38. It says, be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, 
and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You see, when you're faithfully overcoming all the things that go against mercy, like judgment, uh, condemnation, hatred, this is when you truly understand mercy. And understanding mercy is what makes you a blessed person. Verse 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, I'm keeping it real. When I read this and I saw pure of heart, I wasn't exactly sure what that meant. Because I feel like when you say pure of heart, it can carry different meanings, right? It's a loose term. But you, we have to go to Psalms 24, 3 through 5 to break it down. I'm going to read it to you. Psalms 24, verses 3 through 5. It says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god? They will receive blessings from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. So that wording that's used, that phrasing of clean hands and pure hearts is a correlation of integrity and undivided loyalty. You see, understand that integrity isn't just avoiding deceit. It isn't just avoiding bad behavior. It, the root word of integrity is found in wholeness. Now I know what do you mean. You see, this means that our actions aren't just choices that we get to take off and put on like a mask, right? We don't get to take off and put it on at our, at our uh, disposal whenever we get ready. You see, if you notice in these verses, Jesus just doesn't talk about being pure of heart after hungering for righteousness. He talks about it right after showing mercy because that's what verse 7 talks about. Because the ability to be pure of heart and having integrity doesn't come from perfection in our will. It comes from receiving God's grace. So my question to you is, how committed are you to having integrity? To what extent do your words accurately reflect your heart? See, growing up, you know, I was always taught that integrity was something that you need to have. And especially now, since I'm a minister somewhat, I think that I'm truly, I'm truly starting to understand what integrity is. It's being consistent. Integrity and consistent are almost synonymous. 
Because when you're consistent, you're the same throughout, right? For example, let's take LeBron James, greatest player ever, right? I'm going to get some flack for that, but it's okay. Greatest, one of the greatest player ever, right? Greatest player ever. He's been consistently good throughout his whole career. Not like this bum Michael Jordan, right? <laughs> this guy Michael Jordan was, was basically uh, shooting and dunking on mailmen and milkmen, right? Started out like that, but Michael Jordan was consistent, or LeBron's been consistent throughout, right? Right, Wes? Amen. Amen for one person. That's good. You see, you got to understand that amongst your friends and your homeboys, consistency might get you laughed at. Integrity might get you laughed at. Being the same person that you were one day and the same person that you were another day might get you laughed at because it's frowned upon in society. We don't get a whole lot of consistency and integrity from role models, people we look up to necessarily. But understand that nobody's perfect. God loves you. And you're going to mess up sometimes. But it's important that you strive for integrity. And like I said, you might be at the end of jokes, but like having mercy and meekness, it can be seen as a weakness at times. But verse 8 says that those who are pure in heart and have integrity are the ones that will see God. You see, sin and impurity come between you and your ability to see God. I'm going to say it again. Sin and impurity come between you and your ability to see God. You see, if there's a, a sin in your life that clings to you that you're not willing to overcome, then it becomes difficult to, for you to hear and see God. Sin has this tendency, this ability to cloud your vision when it comes to God. You see, although in 1 Timothy, Timothy, the Bible talks about how God is invisible and that he dwells in an unapproachable light, the pure in heart have the ability to sense God in this life through their integrity. In fact, without integrity, the deceit and the lies that we spread about others eventually make us unable to see the truth. We then be begin to believe our own lies. And then these lies begin to bleed into our own lives till we don't see God anymore. First John 3.2, it says, With a pure, thankful heart, you see God in everything. You see him in the trials, you see him in the blessings, you see him in the everyday details of life. You see him in the big situations. This is truly blessed. And someday you will stand before him with a pure heart and a clean conscience and see him as he is. Understand that the impure of heart, the people that don't see God, have no desire to see him as well. But those who are a part of God's kingdom are blessed because they understand that a reality without God isn't a reality in the first place. 
So I'm going to leave you with this quote. It's by Pastor Passion Arthur, Arthur, Charles R. Swindle. He says, the eight character traits listed in the Beatitudes are not a multiple choice list where we pick our favorites. So understand this. As we continue our series, keep in mind that you just can't pick and, pick and choose which Beatitude you want to live by. It's live by all of them or live by none of them at all. And if you're on the fence about it or unsure about it, know that with each beatitude, it comes with a promise. See, the people listening to Jesus that day on the mountain were longing and seeking for that promise. And we should too. And that promise is the love and grace of Jesus. Let's all pray together. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time now that we all have to come together and study you, Lord. Lord, I pray if there is anyone struggling in this room with trying to fill their lives with all these wrong things of the world and all these wrong virtues and characters, Lord. I pray that they seek you. And I pray that they understand you for who you truly are, Lord. Thank you for all all that you've done and all that you're going to do. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome.